This is the Langpreneur podcast where each week we interview experts in the language learning industry who will show you how to turn your passion for languages into a profitable online business so that you can create an independent career doing something you love. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey everybody, this is Jan. You're listening to the Langpreneur podcast. Welcome to this brand new episode. Of course, we have another interesting interview with a Langpreneur today. Um, but apologies in advance because if you hear any background noise here during this intro, uh, that's my seven-year-old, seven-month-old daughter. Um, yeah, they had a positive. Somebody tested uh, positive on Corona this week at the daycare, so we have to keep her at home. So yeah, today we are recording this intro together. Anyway, to Today we're talking to Chris Parker from Fluent in Mandarin. He actually runs quite a few language businesses, but I guess the one he's known for most in the Western world is called Fluent in Mandarin. Chris lived in China for quite a while. He's super fluent in Mandarin, by the way. Um, I also spent like one, no, yeah, two years in in China. My Chinese is pretty good, but Chris's Mandarin is through the roof um he's really one of the uh oh there you go he's one of the uh, best mandarin speakers or non-native mandarin speakers i know um we're not going to talk so much about learning mandarin today but we're going to talk about how to become a famous language teacher in china because that's basically what he is he has a huge following of over eight hundred thousand followers uh, in china or from china who uh uh, who wants to learn English, basically. So, in this episode, we're going to talk about how you can become a famous teacher in China. And I know that most of you listening to this podcast probably don't have the intention of focusing on the Chinese market, right? But I just thought that it would be interesting to share how online marketing works in China. Because, you know, although the, the main principles, you know, the... Uh, you know how marketing works the fundamentals of how marketing works is the same in china but we always talk about the importance of having a mailing list in china it's quite different of course they use different platforms there um, <laughs> different language and i thought yeah it would be interesting to um to get chris on the show and talk a bit about his experience building an audience in china and also monetizing this audience and you know if you are already the biggest in your niche and you want to diversify a bit, then it might actually, yeah, might be a, it could be a good idea to move towards another market or to add another market, uh, which could be, of course, a Spanish-speaking market, but also the Chinese market is huge, and almost every Chinese person wants to learn English. So there is a huge opportunity there for. Uh, especially for English teachers, I guess. So in this interview, yeah, you're really going to get an idea of uh, well how Chris built his uh, his businesses in China, how you could do the same, you know, what the landscape looks like. So just see it as an exploration exploration interview. Some of the things that we're going to talk about in this interview, Chris's background story, of course, one of my favorite parts of all these interviews, the huge potential for teachers for teaching English in China, why you must have a local partner, spoiler alert, navigating Chinese social media, so we're going to talk about all the platforms that you need to know, or that you need to be familiar with, if you want to become a famous language teacher in China, how to use, how to use a live stream to sell your products, um, also 
yeah, ways to we're going to talk about ways to diversify your income because that's uh, that's what that's what Chris is very good at. Um, yeah, I guess that was it. So, without further ado, let's get started, right? So, here's my interview with Chris. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Langpreneur podcast. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got started in YouTube, and all that stuff. Okay, so how do I do this in as short a time as possible, <laughs> just to get us started? Well, yeah, I've been interested in learning languages for as long as I can remember. I studied Chinese at university before that, studied other languages. And that go, uh, studying Chinese uh, at Cambridge, actually, that took me to China. So I've spent about half of my time since I graduated in China, actually probably more. More, more than that. Most of my time in, in China and now I'm back in London. I've got a couple of different uh, language related businesses and projects. One is my original project, which was fluent in Mandarin, which is teaching Chinese to non-Chinese speakers like throughout the world. Um, and then I've got another project in China, which is teaching English to Chinese people with with products online. And now I've got a new project, which is teaching English to non-Chinese people. So kind of all of the combinations, if you like. Yeah, exactly. Tell us a little bit about the very start. Like when was it that you got started on YouTube? Was this after you learned Mandarin? This, like were you teaching Mandarin in the beginning? Yeah it, would have, yeah, it would have been after I started learning because I started learning Chinese in 2006 when I first went to university and then I started to put up videos to YouTube kind of spuriously from then on and just influenced by a lot of the other YouTube language YouTubers that uh, that, that were out there at the time like yeah. Luca and Richard and, and yourself um, but it was a, quite a bit later when I decided to actually do a lot more teaching videos, teaching videos for Chinese, for Chinese on YouTube, uh, which is still kind of small, but uh, it's a solid business. And then now teaching English in China, which is a whole nother story. Yeah. Kind of that, all that, that part actually only happened since I went out to China and spent a lot of time there. I lived in Beijing for six years. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that experience living in Beijing, because I mean, I've been following your work for a very long time from the beginning, I think. And I remember that, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, you, you spoke and probably speak very good Mandarin, right? And then eventually it was so good that you got invited for like a TV show, like oh, one of yeah. the biggest one. Like, tell us a little bit about that experience, because that was a bit quite a happening, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I was, I was, yeah, I was on Chinese TV because it was actually through a friend who I knew from work. And I guess the foreigners who speak Chinese in China, or at one time, they were very popular, I suppose. And a lot of people wanted you to go on the radio show or go on a TV show. And it was really a novelty at that time to have foreigners speaking really good Chinese. Maybe not so much now. There's a lot of people who speak really good Chinese now. But at the time, um, I kind of got in just for speaking really good Chinese. I wouldn't have been on the TV in the UK normally, mm -hmm. <laughs> except for the wrong reasons, maybe. But So what but, was... Yeah, it was a talk show. It was basically, we were talking about different cultural topics and it was supposed to be like a funny entertainment show. And I'm not, I'm not really an entertainment kind of guy. Like, 
<laughs> I don't know. I found it a bit difficult, like the whole TV world. It was an interesting experience. Um, you were supposed to like prepare little anecdotes and they had, they added sound effects like a, you know, a boing and yeah. like a, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. It was super cheesy. Looking yeah. back, it's really funny. Um, but yeah, no, the entertainment world was not really for me. And it takes a long time to tape a, a pretty short TV show. So long hours, getting up early at the weekend and yeah, you've got to really want to be in showbiz to <laughs> stick that out. I think. Yeah. Was it a big thing? I mean, it was, I'm not sure which channel it was in China, but it was watched by millions and millions, I guess, or, or not. Well, was it, was it a really national? Say. It was, it was yeah. a national channel. It was okay. a local channel that's uh, broadcast nationwide. It was a Tianjin TV channel. Okay. So I mean, there could have been millions of people watching. <laughs> so what happened after that? Like did that, appearance of any uh i went on it a few times i went on it uh, i think four or five times and then um kind of called it a day after that um i think i got a lot more social media followers at the time from it at the platforms that i was using at the time but i didn't really do the best job i could i should have tried to plug myself like my social media handles or something in some way you can you can't always get the the exposure that you want or the publicity that you want but uh i guess i probably got a few fans from it at a time yeah by the time you were it's only... a long time ago now though yeah but at the time you years were... ago a few years ago at the time you were only teaching mandarin to english speakers right yeah that's right yeah yeah so you came back, so yeah, when did you make the transition from teaching English, no, sorry, teaching Chinese to English speakers to vice versa? Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, it, it happened pretty slowly. Basically, uh, right, even right at the beginning, I was thinking, should I be teaching Chinese to English speakers or English to Chinese speakers. I, right from the beginning, I was thinking about that. And I settled on the teaching Chinese to English speakers just because I knew, knew more about that world, about the online world in, you know, the West, in like YouTube and Facebook and things like that. I was more familiar with that kind of stuff. And, I, and China was a whole new sphere for me. I, I always thought about doing something for the Chinese market, but I didn't know exactly what to do. I had some product ideas that... M- in hindsight, wouldn't have worked that well in China. And the, so, the social media platforms there were very different. I didn't really know what to put out. At the time, I was like really annoyed. I was like, oh, the Chinese government's really annoying. I've got a, I've got a bitch about that. <laughs> you, you can't do that in China. You've got to be like super careful. Um, and I didn't really figure out or I didn't really know a way to make it work. And then late, much later on, through a friend of a friend who was working for an edutech startup, he got in touch with me and said, would you like to produce a course together for like uh, Chinese speakers in China, teaching them English? Um, And this first course that I did was a, it was called, I don't know what you'd call it in English, like reducing the effects of Chinglish. This is yeah, what it's yeah, like. Yeah. It's like the, the specific brand of English that comes from mistakes that people who speak Chinese make. So it's quite niche because there were so many courses online at that time. And that was an early way for me to stand out on this platform and to make a mark and to launch a course. 
So it didn't take that much persuading for me at the time. It was hard work, but I already knew the value of producing uh, courses online to an audience. This was a, a company that had a platform, had an audience of, um, I don't know what it was at the time, six or seven million at least. And um, yeah, I didn't need too much persuasion. I was recording that first course and launching it, but that was not on my own platform. That was a, that was a cooperation. Yeah, so you, you did like a revenue share. Yeah, I think we we just split it split it down the middle for that course. Yeah, and well, that really opened up the whole Chinese market for me, the whole potential of it. Yeah, were you already successful with like the other business, fluent in Mandarin, at the time, or I was doing yeah. okay with that, but it was it was not quite enough for me to live on. And I always had to be doing other things at the time. At the same time, I was either doing other translation work I was, or I was working a day job at the same time. I was pretty much working throughout that period as well. Yeah. And then this whole experience just opened my eyes to like the size and the potential of the Chinese market. Like it wasn't, I knew it wasn't going to be easy to do. And that's why I went in with this, with this cooperation. I'd thought about it before, but I didn't, didn't know how to do it on my own. Yeah. So when did you do your first launch in, in China with, with those guys? I think that would have been at the end of 2016 on that platform or beginning of 2017. Okay. So it's like three, yeah, three, three, beginning of 2007, yeah, about three, three and a half years ago. Yeah. So what, what, what kind of insights did you get at the time? Like the size of the market or also like the way they marketed it for you? Uh, what, how was that experience? Yeah, I think the size of the market, just, just because I was working with such a large platform, not even large in China terms, but, but to do a launch and suddenly get like 100,000 RMBs worth of sales in a month, like that opened your eyes. And then, um, yeah, I guess the way they positioned me like in that market uh, obviously, I had to put on my suit. I had to stress that I went to Cambridge. Yeah. I had to uh, get every every little angle that I could in the marketing and the positioning. I learned a bit more about how I could position myself better in that market and how I could appeal more to the needs of this yeah. specific market. That's interesting, huh? because when you're selling Mandarin courses to English speakers, I mean, you, you appear on the channel as as just Chris, right? Record yeah, a video from home. Not in a suit. You're not in a suit. I don't think, I didn't know that you went to Cambridge. I don't think you ever mentioned that, at least not as far as I knew. There and in go. China, it's all different, right? You have to wear a suit. It's much more formal. You're this white guy as well, right? So people take you very seriously. Right. Any other like marketing lessons or things that you did differently in your marketing during that launch or that you're still doing? Differently? Well, luckily, because I was mainly just producing the course I, because I was working with this platform, they had the sales team, they had the marketing team. I was basically providing, you know, photos, text, like information about my background. They were doing a lot of it. So I was basically watching and learning at the beginning. And then it wasn't until much later that I, um, the same guy who um, I was working with on that course, actually much later, he, he came out of the company and he was, he's now an entrepreneur. And he came to me and said, let's do our own platform. Let's, um, let's build our own social media, our own audiences there. Yeah. And that wasn't until much later. In between the, those two, I did a couple more courses for other platforms with yeah. various people and learned different things. 
Yeah. So, I mean, some of our listeners, I guess, not most of them, but some of them have a fairly large following on, um, well, everywhere, right? On, on social media. And, you know, what do you think? Like, could it be interesting to, well, I wouldn't say copy paste or duplicate, but like to, to focus on the Chinese market. Can you give us an idea of like the potential of the market and are they, are Chinese people really looking for, I don't know, English speakers like yourself teaching English to them or, or German teaching German or like, are they interested in those languages? What, what's the landscape like? Yeah, I think right now, if you're sitting in London or Berlin or in Europe somewhere, or maybe in, in the West, in some, some place, then it might not be the first market that you're going to be thinking about. You're going to be first thinking about uh, the market in your own country or the English speaking market on, on YouTube or Facebook, etc. But if you are beyond a certain size, I say if you're really big at the moment, uh, you've, let's say you've got hundreds of thousands of subscribers or even millions, then at some point, I, I think you are going to want to think about whether you're going to do something for China, especially if you are in the English language teaching yeah. uh, space. Because English language teaching is the biggest ESL market in the world uh, by numbers of speakers. And I'm not sure by revenue, but it's, it's just so big, you would want to at least... Uh, think, have it on your radar. If you're teaching another language, let's say French or German or Spanish or another one, um, these are a lot smaller in China. I mean, the China market is so large that you would probably still have a pretty sizable audience there, but it's nothing compared to the English teaching there. I would say English and the second one would probably be Japanese and Korean, the, the closer languages that are more relevant for them. If you're talking about French, German, Spanish, all of those there, these are classes in Chinese, like minor languages. Yeah. Um, some people are learning them as a second language, as a hobby or for specialist interest. But English is the real, really the language that changes your life. You can study abroad with it. it. You can use it in your career. It's really worth a lot more. And you know that Chinese people spend a lot of money on education especially. Uh, programs, especially for their kids. So yeah. that's huge. It's just that the market is very competitive. You need to know what you're getting into. And But the thing is, if you are a YouTuber, let's say, and you have a million viewers and you have good content that China would be interested in, there is actually a good chance that somebody has taken your content already and yeah. uploaded it somewhere in China, like pirate effectively stolen your content yeah. without probably you even knowing. Yeah. And this actually happened to me before. Like <laughs> I, some of my YouTube videos teaching Chinese, these were uploaded on a Chinese video site, Billy Billy, and they put subtitles on for me in Chinese. And I only knew because they, they had the, they were nice enough to contact me. But if you are big, then you're probably already in China, but you don't know it. So yeah. once it gets to a certain size, you want to actually be capturing that market for yourself rather than yeah. somebody else uh, using your content to sell their own stuff. Because yeah. they're kind of a little bit uh, less strict about intellectual property there. It <laughs> could be an issue. <laughs> stealing so, your content. Yeah, so if you have a big audience and you're wondering whether your work is already, you know, being shared for free in China, then go to, well, I guess, Billy Billy, right? It's, a, it's like the yeah. Chinese YouTube, go there, just search for yourself. And there. See. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, you, you might be surprised. Yeah, because I've noticed a lot of the English, particularly the English teaching YouTubers and people on Instagram in the, in the West have already been, their videos already pasted all over China. Mm. So tell us a little bit how it works. I mean, does online marketing work 
the same way in China as in uh, as as in the Western world? Like, how do you because the platforms that people use are different, right? Like, we are focused on yeah Facebook, Twitter, uh, well TikTok now. Tell us a little bit how that works in 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 China. How do you build an audience? To which platforms? I would, go I, would, I would say that the basic uh, principles of online marketing in terms of the psychology of buying and selling, these are pretty universal. And uh, the, the importance of creating good content, this is the same. But the platforms and the technologies are different, right? So um, a lot of people now are using this platform, Douyin, which is the Chinese version of TikTok. It's basically the same as TikTok, but only for China. It's the, first, the original one. And these are short videos of up to a minute in general. So this is a very good platform to build an audience on. And I have like around, how many do I have? Like more than 800,000 fans on there. So, and that was in a, a couple of years. So it's quite easy compared to some other platforms to build a, an audience there. Very short videos, not so difficult to produce the content because they're only around a minute each each video you can produce them with your phone and other platforms are wechat which is like a, a an instant messaging platform but it also has a um a feature these public accounts where you can uh you can post content to accounts these are like uh essays and then we also have um another platform called xiaohongshu in chinese or red or red book in english and this is a bit like a little bit like Instagram. You can post photos, you can post short videos and build an audience on there. So I've got a, quite a sizable audience on there as well. And there are all, and there's also Billy Billy, which you mentioned. This is for longer videos. So if you're into uh, longer videos, let's say five minutes or 10 minutes, that kind of length, then Billy Billy is going to be for you. So we always, yeah, on the podcast, we also talk about the importance of building a mailing list. How important is it to build a mailing list if you want to sell courses in China? This is a difficult one because uh, a lot of Chinese people just don't use email or they just use it for work in the office. And like they don't use it in their, in their everyday life outside work, really. So you can't really do that. You can have an email list because I, I was thinking about that at the beginning. I was thinking I need an email list because this is what I learned in uh, Western platforms that you need, but in China, it doesn't really work because people don't check their email. So you're mainly looking at WeChat or you're looking to reach them repeatedly on social platforms through videos or through live streaming because live streaming there is huge now. So obviously the importance of having a mailing list is partly so you can communicate with your audience on, on a frequent basis, right? You can Every time you need to reach them, you can reach them. You can push them content and your products. So you need to find some way to have a, an ongoing relationship with people in China as well. So that would be have to be through the social platforms, through them adding you as a friend on a, on a platform and you chatting to them directly. This is a whole area called user operations, which means basically you're adding people to groups. You're chatting them to individually chatting to them individually that it's quite a lot of work to do it that way otherwise <laughs> you can do it through social platforms or live streams live streams are huge in china and this enables you to talk to uh, a lot of people at the same time and engage them much better because it's video it's live so live streams also really hot 
So what does like a typical launch look like in China? I mean, in the Western world, it's really a matter of, of course, a good email sequence, having a good offer. And maybe you can combine that with you know, YouTube videos if you have a YouTube channel. Yeah. What, what's like the most important thing in, in China? Is it the live streaming? Is it the one-on-one uh, for chats us, that you were talking about? For yeah. us, I'd say it's the co- coordination of multiple platforms. So we have a Douyin short videos. And so we would post some short videos on there to advertise our product. Maybe the direct advert might not work so well. We would have a bit of teaser content and then get them to add us on WeChat directly and sell to them that way. Um, we would probably post the same video on multiple platforms just to have it syndicated. Um, we have a WeChat public account so we can, we can post content on there that people see. And then so we would probably write an essay, we'd write some copy uh, for the launch on there and post that out at the same time to leverage that pl- platform. Um, people who'd added us like directly as a friend, we'd probably make just a post that they, that they would see that our friends, direct friends would see. And then we would maybe think about doing a live stream as well, just to launch it um, and then promoting the live stream. Mm-hmm. So what's like the place where you want to send all your leads? I mean, in the Western world, there's the mailing list. In China, you send yeah. every, you're trying to send everybody to, to, to WeChat? Yeah, or? right now we're trying to get everybody into WeChat. And then um, we have... Because I have a small team in China. I've got, a, I've got uh, two full-time people. And then I'm working with a business partner, Chinese business partner. And so that's effectively four of us. And the, uh, our two people in the office, a lot of what they're doing is chatting to people individually through private messages and uh, pushing these products to them. Well, but uh, a lot of it's done. Like some people will, if you work, if you have a very large platform and if you have a very large audience, you can push out content and people will just buy directly. You can provide a link and they'll buy directly. But if you don't have like an apps, an absolutely huge platform behind you, then you will need to think about a more direct approach, either through direct messages or live streams. Because a lot of, a lot of people just uh, sell on live streams. Uh, some of them even every day or every week. Is it like a webinar? Or yeah, like- a webinar, exactly. You have a Chinese uh, word for webinar? I've thought about that before. Uh, it's called jibo, which yeah, basically live stream. means live. Yeah. yeah, I keep saying live stream, but what I, yeah, the equivalent would just be webinar. Okay. It's, yeah. it's basically the same format. You're teaching or you're providing value for 80% of it. And then right at the end, you're pushing your products and answering questions about those products. Yeah. So really, really interesting. Do Chinese people, I mean, obviously did they do, but yeah, do they really buy online as much as we do in the Western world? Because in China, you can just find everything for, for free on the internet, right? They just steal your information. This, is, put this is a growing trend. So in the past, this is probably why I didn't get into it right at the beginning, because I was worried about that as well. Um, and maybe at that time when I was first thinking about it in 2015, it probably would have been the case that people didn't really buy that much stuff online, especially info products, non-physical products that are just yeah. like online eBooks or video courses. But even now they probably still have, um, they probably still require more engaging content. Video would be much better than an eBook, but people are starting to buy it online a lot more. It's becoming more of a trend. It's becoming more acceptable to pay for online content. At the beginning, I remember in China, the, the uh, online audio music streaming sites, they were all free. 
But yeah. now they started to introduce monthly packages similar to what Spotify is doing. And this is gaining track. Yeah. And people are realizing that the stuff that they pay for, the courses and the products they pay for are a lot better in quality than just the odd free videos. So I was pretty much jumping on this trend and a lot of uh, the influencers, because this is the other side to it. You don't have to sell online courses, right? You can be an influencer or you can be uh, a, a popular vlogger in a different field and you could sell uh, products from your country. You could take advertising. I've even done some adver advertising in, in China on, on our social accounts. Yeah, I have an, I have an account with my daughter who's like, uh, he's not even three years old. And, and we've done um, infant milk formula ads. Oh, really? And we've done uh, a few kids like English learning ads as well. Yeah. So what pays better on your experience? Is it course creation or the sponsorship deals? The sponsorships are good when they happen, but they have been like not regular enough to, to, to provide us with enough revenue. So in a good month, we, we might get one or two, but for a while during the, the COVID, during the lockdown, it was a bit quiet. So you can't, we weren't, we're not able to rely on that um, as, the, as the mainstay. Definitely you want to have your own products or your own services. Yeah. So, you know, if there is, if somebody is listening to this episode and, and thinking, hey, this might be an interesting opportunity for, for me, um, what else do they need to know? Like, what are some other main differences that we need to know before we start targeting the Chinese market? Well, I mean, the main difference, like to make it really obvious, is the language difference, right? Most, <laughs> most of them are Chinese speaking. So, I mean, you can do content just in English, but you will be appearing, appealing to a very niche audience there, the people who have really good English. So uh, probably you are going to want to partner with a local partner a lo or a local team who will help you to provide content ideas um, just because they are more in touch with uh, current trends, social trends and online trends. They could give you a better idea of what kind of content to produce because that's, that would be a big challenge. Um, they would also be able to help you with um, producing the videos, adding Chinese subtitles probably if it was in English would be helpful um, obviously if you can speak some chinese that's that's even better even a, a little bit but if you can't you're probably going to look at um, translating a lot of the content yeah so that's one thing i'm looking to help people with now helping people who have large organ or audiences who might want to incubate themselves in china might want to if you're already really big and you want to uh, explore a completely new market china could be something that you could think about yeah and well, i even have that i have my own team um, that we've built there as well. And I would not be able to do it without them because they know things about the local market that I don't, even though I speak Chinese pretty well, there's still a lot I don't know. Yeah. What are like the, the, the price point, the price points, like for how much can you sell courses? Is it like similar to the Western market? Is it really like mm. any, any, anywhere from, from $10 to $300 or like what's like a typical price point of a language course? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of competition. I would say that it depends on the specific niche and the, the market, but I would, I would say that if it's a video course that you watch yourself um, on your own phone and there's, you don't get any extra interaction or one-on-one uh, -on -one or anything like that, uh, just for a video course, you'd probably be paying between around uh, 49 Chinese yuan and I would say 
about let's say 400 so that that's like so, seven euros to 40 between seven and 50 euros right yeah so that would be for a course that you were just watching with video so maybe a little bit lower than in some western markets but if you were if you, if it had a one-on-one component or more um how would you say more more time with a, a somebody who's helping you out, yeah. then that, I mean, our most expensive course product for an online course is 2000 Chinese yuan. And that we have a, an assistant teacher who's in a WeChat group with you and she's like uh, marking your homework and giving you feedback. Yeah. So, so for that. So 2000 Chinese yuan, that's about 250 euros for those who are not yeah. familiar with the, with the Chinese currency. Um yeah, so well, that's only one of the three projects that you uh, that you are running at the moment, right? So again, we have fluent in Mandarin, which is what you started with, and then we have teaching English to the Chinese market, and then another project which you started. Yeah. Not really sure, actually. When did you start the uh, the third? Like just over a month ago. Only a month ago. Okay, and there you are teaching English to non non English speakers, basically. Exactly. So I'm basically, because I thought that I have all of this content and all of these ideas and even course products, which I've already produced just for the China market. Um, I didn't want to restrict myself too much to the Chinese market. I didn't want to have too much of my revenue coming out of China. Um, So I wanted to diversify and I thought, well, at first, at first I was thinking, well, maybe I can look at the the Chinese uh, users on YouTube who are in the West because that's another that's another niche market, yeah. And also people like in in Taiwan where you watch YouTube and Hong Kong places like that. Yeah. But then I just thought, well, just teaching English is a, a big advantage that I could have. So um, why not do something for the rest of the world? <laughs> Don't <laughs> deprive them of your, you know, your your experience and your your products. So that's what I'm building now. I'm building um, um, content for non. Chinese English learners, mainly concentrating right now around the British accent, teaching accent reduction and pronunciation on YouTube, because I have a channel on there. And I noticed during the lockdown, it was getting a lot more views. And I thought, let's grab this and let's, let's see what we can do with it. I'm currently producing my pronunciation course, which is a similar course. I actually launched this course in China. It's the same. It's basically the same course. But the Chinese course, because I, I had a version with the American accent where I was just teaching everything <laughs> in the American accent. And then I had another version with the British accent. And then now I'm producing the same thing because originally the course was, had a lot of Chinese in it. I was teaching with Chinese explanation. But now I'm just basically doing the same thing, but all in English. <laughs> that's that's for the rest is. of the world. Yeah. So which of the three advantages or the three ventures has been, has been working best, has been the most successful? I would say, I would say the China part is, has been the, the most successful so far, just because of the, the big platforms I've been able to work with. And I have, I've got more than 20 courses there, more than 20 uh, video and audio courses, uh, which are still selling. And yeah, so I was just, I'm looking to take it to the next level, looking for bigger partners, uh, more course products. I'm looking to uh, launch more in the infant English and like, cause I've got a daughter who's almost three now and she's learning to read or will be soon. So I'm looking to do more of that in China. 
and then same at the same time, I'm looking to the the markets outside China just to to broaden my uh, sphere of influence a bit, and also, as I said, not just uh, be too dependent on China because if you once you get get big enough, you don't want to you want to have more revenue streams. You don't want to have all of your income coming from one place or one product. Yeah, it's a it's a good it's a difficult uh, balance to have, right? You don't you don't want to be doing too many things at once. Yeah. Yeah. And having your time too divided, but at the same time, you don't want to be, have all your eggs in one basket. I think maybe that's something you struggle with as well. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Managing different projects. Yeah. So, and on top of that, I mean, you, I think you are, I mean, as far as I know, I think you are a marketer, but at the same time, you're also a content creator, right? So how do you, how do you divide that time? Like how much time do you spend on marketing versus content creation? Because you do both. Yeah, that's that's really difficult. I really struggle with that actually, because once I produce, I'm starting with a course. I will want to be creating that product and putting as much of my time and effort into it as I can. But at the same time, you always need to have content to sell that course, right? Uh, so sometimes I'm kind of leaving the content till the last minute, and that's actually probably one of the biggest mistakes that I've made in the past and still make. Because I'm so I, I'm so into creating courses and products that sometimes I, I forget to, I don't have content that's attractive enough to sell the products. I know a lot of people are the opposite. They start and they have uh, great content. They've got um, you know hundreds of thousands of fans or people who love their content. And they're really good at that, but then they don't know what product to make. Yeah. So you really have to have both. And people say that you should be spending more time on promoting these products than creating them. But at the same time, these products do take a long time. If you make a good course, like it's going to take you a few months to produce that. I don't know what's been your experience, but. Yeah, definitely. Unless you have lots of assistance, but even then it takes a lot of time. You know, all the, all the proofreadings, all your recordings, you're going to make changes. Um, yeah. It takes so time. It's really time consuming. But I'm still producing content for the China market like all the time. Um, I'm trying to produce content for my other products. But yeah, it's definitely something I struggle with. <laughs> if you've got tips on that, I would, I would love to hear them actually. Yeah. Well, listen to the Langpreneur podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. We, oh, we can talk, just talk about that after, after this interview. Um, let's talk, um, because you used to work in, in, you used to have a full-time job when you lived in, in Beijing, right? I actually remember, just for our listeners, I remember you, I remember meeting you once in Beijing. We yeah. had like a quick dinner, which was That's a right, long yeah. time ago. It's like a vague, a vague memory. It was like, it was near the Tiananmen, right? In yeah, the, yeah, right in the middle of Beijing. Of Beijing. And if I remember correctly, you were working a full-time job. Um, when were you already... Yeah, I think you were already selling courses online. And, you know, when did you make that transition from working full-time job to going all in? Uh, this is kind of interesting because uh, I, I had a full-time job. Probably when, when we met, I was working that full-time job. And then I actually, my contract ended and I went, I came out on my own for uh, about eight months or nine months, I think it was. And then... I actually ended up getting uh, another full-time job because I think I, I think I quit my job too early. You know, uh, sometimes you, it, let's put it this way. If you're working, you can have a nice safety net, which actually takes all of the pressure off you. If you are uh, just getting started and to know that you, you don't have to be successful straight away is 
a massive relief because I'm actually quite a, a risk adverse person. Yeah. But at that time it, I was, I guess I was being motivated by all the people online and saying, quit your job, you know, live the dream. But it was a bit too early to do that. And uh, so I went back into a job and all the time I was always working on other projects and courses and doing launches uh, pretty much throughout. Um, and then when I left China, I was, I was still working a full-time job. Now in the UK, I'm, I'm kind of doing freelance. I'm doing other projects, but I'm not, I'm not doing the, the, the office job thing. But still, like, I guess everybody's different, right? I I'm still like to have a bit of stable work on the side just because I'm not as risk you know, prone as some other people are more risk adverse. Yeah. So what kind of jobs are you taking on there? Is that translation work? I'm, yeah, I'm doing translation, editing work, and I'm doing my own projects as well. So I'm kind of dividing my time. And, but because the thing about the online stuff is sometimes it can be really big. Like if you do a launch, you could have a really big um, uh, few months. And then sometimes it can, it could dry up a little bit before it gets more steady. And it takes time to build everything up. So um, I guess I'm still in a transition stage. Yeah. So some of the most important lessons that you have learned, you know, doing online marketing in the Western world, also in China over the last six, seven years. Anything you want to share with our listeners? I think, I think, I think that one I just said was a big one. Don't quit your job no. too early and find out what kind of person you are. Because I was, at that time, I was working at home. I was kind of on my own. And suddenly I, I went from office to kind of staring at the four walls and yeah. like having to get your project off the ground. That can be really difficult. And it can be particularly difficult for some uh, types of people. I found yeah. that very difficult at the beginning. So uh, let yourself know what you're into. Be in it for the long haul. Uh, know that creating an audience takes time and producing products takes time. It's even in, even in China with the, the huge market, unless you have a big uh, affiliate deal or a big uh, cooperation deal, building an audience is it's the same. It's going to take time. So be in it for the long haul. Yeah. And uh, you were talking about lessons learned, right? Yeah. Um, in the China market, if you are thinking about going into that, uh, think about having somebody to help you who understands the local market more um, and the local language. Uh, work with my team, work with me or, or, or somebody or a Chinese friend or a partner there who can help you. Mm -hmm. uh, know your audience. These are the most important things. So who's your audience? What were you, how would you describe them? Are these like younger right people? Yeah, in China. Right now, I have a few different niches that I'm covering at the same time. I've got, because um, I've got different social media accounts. One of them is the, the, uh, the young professionals who are working mm -hmm. and they want to learn English to better themselves, maybe for work or for self-improvement. Yeah. Another audience would be students who are taking the IELTS test. Yeah. have some IELTS courses, very specific niche. And then I have no, another niche in China, which is the, the basically young mothers or people with young kids, their kids to read English and learn English. Hmm. So these are very specific niches. So you need to know exactly what niche you're aiming for, because especially in China as well, because the market, learning English is a, such a huge market. And there are so many niches within that. Yeah. Well, you spend Maybe many. If you were teaching Swahili, it would be it would be just like a tiny, a tiny market. But English is so huge, right? It's completely yeah. different. Yeah. 
But you lived many years in China. Uh, you, you, you moved back to the UK, at least for now. Any plans to move back to China in the future? I think because of the, the virus, it's actually pretty difficult for me to go back. I've got a quarant- I would have to quarantine for two weeks in a hotel. And uh, you, you actually can't leave your room. They deliver food and water to the door. So I will try to get back when I can, but uh, it's tough to travel anywhere right now. And uh, yeah, I, I'm happy living in the UK. Listen, I'm, I'm happy with the projects I have here and also being able to serve the Chinese market. That's the great thing about being online, right? You can be anywhere. It's just a time difference. So I'm still able to do that, which is, is amazing for me. I can still work with clients in China, but I would love to divide my time between these places, visit some more places and really benefit from this kind of lifestyle. Just once we get the ability to travel again, would be yeah. nice. What do you miss most about living in China? I guess the energy of the place, the energy of the people, the speed at which pe- things are happening really, really gives you a boost. The energy that you feel in the streets. Obviously, there's a lot of people as a, a downside as well, but just that energy. Hmm. If our listeners want to reach out to you, what's the best way to reach you? Wow, what is the best way? I don't even know to... what is the best way to reach me. <laughs> I guess you can just send me an email. You can just send me an email at chris at chris again hyphen or dash parker.co.uk. You can just send me an email. It'll probably oh. work best. Yeah, well, I will add all the details and all the links to Chris's social media channels in the show notes, so make sure to check it out. Chris, it was a pleasure interviewing you here on the podcast. Great to speak to you again. Yeah, a pleasure. Want to learn how you can grow your language business or maybe meet us at one of our upcoming events? Then go to our website, langpreneur.com. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.